0: Good morning, whoa, is that me or you? I remembered to turn it on this morning. It is uh, a delight to be here and it is a delight every uh, every day. I want you to know that uh, I've not been, a, I was, Am not a founding member of Living Legacy Church. I became part of it four years ago. Something like that. Uh, but I love this church. To interpret that, I love you guys, okay? We're not talking about structure. I uh, <clears throat> worshipped in this place uh, before Living Legacy was here. And I love those forks. There's a whole lot more to love in Living Legacy than there was in First Baptist, uh, uh, Hershey. I'm grateful for First Baptist, even in its death, its dissolving. Um, There was sacrifice that was uh, made uh, and living legacy has been a benefit of some of that. Uh, I want you to know, as we look at the message this morning, I thought three weeks ago that I was going to be preaching this last Sunday, and uh, and found out I was wrong. And it may have been felt more appropriate last Sunday than it would be this Sunday. Because when we deal with the matter of sin, and when you look at the, uh, <coughs> the, uh, the title, Sin's Contamination and Cure, I, I, I pray that, that as we look at this passage, that you do hear me, but hear beyond me. Because I think God has a message for his church today. Sin has been a part of the world since Adam and Eve. And its impact upon the world has been disastrous. And we continue to see it today. I love the Christmas season. You know, when you hear the voice of the angels that say, peace on earth, goodwill to man. Um Peace is not just the absence of of fighting, but that would be good. But then there's that peace that is the absence of our our quarrel with God to where we accept him in our life, but greater than that is he accepts us to be a part of of him and, uh, and his kingdom. That God is... Not only with us in the Emmanuel, but in us through the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit and dwelling in in all believers. But let's back up and take a look at the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. You may not have been here four or five weeks ago as we looked at Joshua chapter 6. Today we're going to take a look at chapter, uh, Joshua chapter uh, 7, but we need to remember what happened in 6. God led the people of Israel into that land that he had promised them, that land flowing with milk and honey. He, he gave that to them. That doesn't mean that there weren't struggles that they would have as they entered that land. As a matter of fact... He uh, miraculously stopped the waters of the Jordan River that they might walk across on dry land, and those that walked across on dry land, except for Joshua and Caleb, uh, had never experienced that before. They, They weren't at the Red Sea because of their refusal to enter the promised land at Kadesh Barnea. God allowed them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years why those that refused died. And so this was a whole new nation that, that Joshua well, was leading in and that God gave them this promised land. And, and he gave it to them in a very spectacular way. The Israelites were not a warrior nation but they were victorious when they were faced with, with war, faced with the enemy. And God made them, allow them to be victorious over uh, Jericho. And so as we look at chapter 7, I wanted to see the last verse of chapter 6 that said, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Now in uh, translation I have that, that his is in the lowercase and not uppercase. Um, I think we have to be careful at times. People praise Joshua, but, but, the, but the, the fame that was evident was that of God. And I think the people knew it. Matter of fact, when uh, the spies were sent out and they came to the home of Rahab, uh, she spoke to them. And said that the, the people are fearful. They're, they're, <clears throat> they're like water before the Israelites because they have heard how uh, God led them through the Red Sea. And how God them gave, and how God had given them um, victory over the Amorites and uh, Mo Moabites and some of the other ites that they had you know, encountered. Uh, Deflecting glory to God is not an easy thing, and sometimes it can even become a prideful thing, and it should not be. And uh, if if you say, good message, preacher, uh, and I seem a little awkward, please forgive me. Because I want you to know, I, 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 I've been praying about this, and I've asked others to pray about this, that we hear God this morning. And why God would choose... Uh, to use Ron Wendell, I don't know. Uh, but he has, so please bear with him and with, uh, with me this morning. As we enter into Joshua chapter 7, there's a but. Have you run into those buts before? You know, I, have you ever heard someone come up and say, boy, I am really excited uh, of what's happening, but... You know, and and the butt seemed to just wipe out everything that happened before it. This is a is a powerful butt. But the people of Israel broke in faith in regard to the devoted things, and the devoted things were those things that were devoted unto destruction. That God said, These things I have declared to be destroyed. And uh, and they broke faith with God. Uh, for Achan, I I was trying to look up see how that's actually pronounced, and it's pronounced sort of like Achan. Uh, but Achan seems everybody knows who Achan is. They may not know who Achan is, but for Achan, the son of Carmi, uh, the son of Zebdi or Zabdi, the son of Zerah. Uh, of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Sin entered the situation. We have a a theological Oh, and the word just escaped me. Uh, Bill, what is that? Talks about the sin of man, the And I thought I wrote it down, and I don't see it in my notes. Pardon? No? Oh, no, no, not not that theological. (laughs) Uh, The depravity. I knew it was a D in there. The depravity of man. I'm glad we sang one of the songs that we did that that had the verse out of uh, Amazing Grace. How great the sound that saved a wretch like me! I had a chaplain friend of mine, Chaplain McCord. He hated that song. He wanted them to take it out of the hymnal that we uh, used, and the reason was is that <clears throat> he said, "We're not wretched. We are." <clears throat> And if we miss that, now, and listen, that's not a thing of putting us down. Folks, that is, <clears throat> that's a part of who we are based on the choices that have made before us. Now, that doesn't uh, excuse us for what we do, okay? But sin entered into the world by one man, and by one man, the consequences of sin is removed from the world. Adam and Eve may have messed it up, and, and Adam had as big a part, if not a bigger part, in it than, uh, than Eve, irrespective of what you've heard before, okay? Uh, but that doesn't mean that, that I'm not responsible for the sin in my life. I worked with uh, addicts for, well, more than 13 years. 20some uh, years had a brother that I love very very much passed away five years ago as a result of uh, of his addiction to alcohol uh, and uh, there were times when I talk to God and say because as as I've if I've studied it and I've seen and dealt with people that, uh, that true alcoholism, you know, there may be people with a drinking problem, but alcoholism is a disease and, and there is almost always a hereditary connection with it. And, and I think, why is it that some people have to struggle with things that others don't? But the thing of it is, We struggle with some things because of choices that that our ancestors have made that maybe others don't have to. I am so grateful that God gave me godly parents. And uh, if people would say to me, preacher, why don't you drink alcohol? I'd have to answer, well, (laughs) I was brought up that way, you know. Uh, That wasn't a part of my family. I didn't do it because I think that it's immoral to allow alcohol upon my uh, lips. Um, I do it because <clears throat> my folks didn't. And their folks didn't. And uh, and there may have been some down the road somewhere that did, but i wasn't aware of it. It's just the atmosphere in which I was brought up. Today, another <laughs> thing that enters in that I abstain from it because it killed my brother. I mean, it took the life of my brother. Uh, I think we could have the same thing with uh, cancer. There are things we need to hate. You know, don't let us consume us. You know, Paul says, be angry. You know, God says through him, be angry, but sin not. Don't hang on to it. Anger is a legitimate... um, Emotion. And I think God legitimizes it here. For he said that God um, burned with anger against the Israelites. Because, not because of who they were, because he loved them for who they were. Because of what they did. And the consequences of that was severe. severe. Um, God loves us... Let me tell you something about this insert. If I don't hit everything on here, take a look at it, because this simply tells you how God brought me to the place that I am today in trying to share with you something that is very expansive. Um, But I'll try to hit each of the points. One of them is that God loves us too much to allow us to remain in sin. Isn't that good? I've heard people say I can't believe in a god that punishes people for something that others have done. If God did not judge sin, then God would be a very unloving god. If God didn't judge sin, not just in my life but in the life of others and there's some that we see, you know, so great when we think of people like, you know, Hitler and Saddam Hussein and and there's Probably some today, and 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 some we call them perverts, people that do horrible things to other people, and many times horrible things to people smaller than themselves. Um, they can know the forgiveness of God. That doesn't mean they'll be spared the consequences of their sin. One of them is we find in in David, with the sin that he committed in taking the life of of uh, his later to be wife, uh, her husband, uh, and, and the sin morally that he committed uh, uh, with uh, with her. When Nathan confronted him, he was repentant, and if you read uh, Psalm fifty one, you'll find that that. David experienced the forgiveness of God. But if you remember when Nathan confronted him, Nathan said, the sword, you know, you killed uh, her husband with the sword of the Ammonites, I think it was. You know, you didn't physically do it, but you used the Ammonites to, you know, to kill him. Therefore, the sword shall never leave your house, your family. And, uh, and David had to go through the death of a son, a grandson. Uh, uh, he, he experienced the consequences of the sin that he uh, committed. But we can know the forgiveness of God. And even Hitler, had he repented, could know the forgiveness of God. It would not change the horror that he did. And personally, I don't think he he was so far uh, hardened in heart that, uh, that that didn't happen. But God loves us too much to let us remain in our disobedience. Um, Israel was God's chosen people in the same way that, that the church is the Lord's family. Matter of fact, we've been reading in Revelation, they describe uh, the... Uh, the church as the bride of Christ, the treasured one of Christ, the one whose, whose whole life is focused even to the point of giving his life for, uh, for the church and for his bride. God desires good for his people, and he desires good for us today. Jeremiah 29.11 is one that I uh, God brings to mind many, many times. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, speaking to Israel, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. They experienced defeat with Ai, but once they dealt with the sin, they experienced victory as they entered into the land and possessed the land that God had given them. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 8, it says, In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. I don't remember experiencing discipline from my dad or my mom very often. And it may have happened more often than I remember, but those few times that I do remember, uh, I look back with them with with great love that my dad showed to me in and saying you continue in this path and and, and, and it's going to bring hurt to you far greater than what I may give you now. Um, <laughs> my dad wasn't one that beat us. Matter of fact, I was probably hurt more at heart when God, when, when my dad was uh, displeased with my behavior. And one of the reasons that I chose not to do things was that I, I didn't want to disgrace my dad, or or my family's name. My younger brother Brad, who was the alcoholic, really struggled with that, because uh, he felt like he was a disgrace, and and my dad and and the rest of the family, of course, uh, got behind him and in front of him and alongside of him uh, to. Uh, to encourage him and to help him and try to to be a positive influence in him overcoming his addiction, which he did. And and when he passed away, he had been sober for between 22 and 25 years. And I'm so grateful for that. Israel was God's chosen ones, and yet they experienced... uh, harshness matter of fact they, they lost 36 of their warriors lives uh, as they um, assaulted AI and tried to take that city and and then they came and um, and Joshua uh, fell before the Lord and was on the ground and they were covering their head with dust and and just crying out to God, God, why did you do that? Why did you allow this to happen? It would have been better for us to have stayed on the other side of the Jordan if we'd only been content to stay there and not to enter into the promised land that you have given us. This was the man that stood before Israel at Kadesh Barnea and said, there are giants up there. But God was right about the land. It flows with milk and honey. There was fruit in there that's enormous, bigger than anything we'd ever seen before. And yes, there are giants, but our God is able to conquer those giants. And now he's on his face before the Lord and saying, God, if we'd only been content not to enter into the promised land. That's what he was saying. Can you imagine that? And that's why God said to, uh, to Joshua, get up. What, what are you doing on the ground? <laughs> you got work to do. There is sin in the camp and the reason that you were not able to stand against your enemies is because my presence wasn't with you and it wasn't because I didn't love you but I can't be where there is sin. Sin and God cannot get, exist together. Now, folks, hang on, okay? (laughs) Because we'll get to the New Testament. You know, the New Testament is the the joy one. God and sin cannot exist together. Does that mean when we sin that God leaves us? No. We're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. God gave us the old covenant to teach us that no matter how hard we try to live righteously, we can't because we're not righteous in the beginning. But when we are born again, we become righteous. Not because of our behavior, we never, no one ever becomes righteous by living righteously. We live righteously when we come face to face with the fact that we are righteous in Christ Jesus, that the sin thing has been dealt with. God corrects those that he loves. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 9 through 11, but look in particular at uh, about halfway through verse uh, 9, it says, shall we not much more readily be in subject to the father of spirits and live? For... They indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. We experienced different discipline that we might experience holiness. When when I sin, I don't feel all that good. Do you? When I am forgiven for my sin, and God allows us for that moment to experience his righteousness, (laughs) that's good. And, And we can live in that way. It doesn't mean that we are sinless. We were talking about this in, in our Sunday school class. As long as we are housed in this flesh, sin's gonna pop its ugly head. And we need to deal with it. And we can overcome that. Where does sin begin? Are are we sinning <laughs> do we sin when we commit the act? No, Jesus tried to tell us that. The thought. And and as soon as you have the thought, you need to take it to him and confess it. I may be getting ahead of myself. Um, God does confront us with our sin and disobedience because uh, God said to Joshua, get up. Because there's sin and I want you to bring the people up and I want you to pass before in tribes and God will pick out a tribe and then I want you to bring by families and God will pick out a family and then I want you to bring the families by man by man and God will show you the man. And when they confronted Achan with his sin, what did Joshua say? Give God glory and confess your sin. Give God glory. We come to worship today, to glorify God. We try to live day by day to glorify God. And one of the greatest things that we can do to glorify God is to say, God, you're right. I watched a program yesterday, I think it was, NCIS, please don't feel ill of me because of doing that. But, but the conclusion of the whole program was a son who was caught in addiction that uh, finally committed himself to overcome the addiction and stood before his dad and said, Dad, you were right. And And before he could get it all out, his dad just threw his arms around him and said, Son, I love you. Confession is so important. The other thing that we need to see about sin is that sin always involves others. I don't know how many people, especially those in addiction, are saying, well, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. If you've ever had anybody in your family or even a close friend, a very dear friend, that's caught in addiction. It impacts many, many people, and we've come to learn that there's a genetic factor in there. And I think that God can deal with that. It, it may be a generational thing, but I think God can deal with that. There are times when I, when I pray, Lord, I, I. I see this particular trait in my dad that doesn't glorify you and I see it uh, emerging in myself and it doesn't glorify you. Please sever that bloodline that it might not pass on to my son. Or when it does to deal with it so that it doesn't continue, you know, so that our family isn't known by this particular uh, trait. Uh, uh, uh. It is so important that we realize that our behavior and our action affects others. One of the uh, verses that isn't uh, on the sheet is Hebrews uh, 12, 15. And I'm going to start with verse 14 that says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness without it no one will see the Lord. <clears throat> see to it that no one fails at the grace of God uh, and that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and by it defiling many. And, you know, that word defiling is a thing that means to dye something a different color. And to defiling means to stain, to... to to make impure. Uh, our sins impact others. And folks, how we deal with anger. And again, let me emphasize, anger is a natural emotion. And it is one that needs to be expressed at times. You know, there, as, a, as a teenager, there were times when I would get angry at myself because I didn't get angry at others for what they did. Not what they did to me, but for what they did. It, it seemed to be part of my nature not to get angry, and I don't know why. And, and I can't take credit for it, it's just the way I was put together. But, but, but anger, there are things that we need to be angry about. But we need to deal with it, and we need to let go of it, because when we hang on to it, there can be that root of bitterness, You know, roots are good. There's the root of David that the scriptures talk about. That's Jesus. That's the righteous root. There's a root that developed in uh, Adam that hasn't been so good. It's that of sin that has permeated, you know, the world. But Jesus can deal with that. We as believers do not live in a vacuum. We heard it uh, a couple weeks ago. Brother Tim, talking about Jonah. Jonah's sin impacted others. Uh, the, the, the sailors the, finally came to him and said, Sleeper, you know, you guys sleeping down in here, you know, uh, call upon your God because he might spare us. And then they found out that they were going through this stuff because of Jonah being on their on their ship. Our disobedience impacts others. Our choices can impact our nation, our family, as well as our person. It can impact our extended family, our immediate family, um, and even those that we love very much. And folks, listen even though we may keep it a secret, (laughs) it impacts your church. It does. How did it impact Israel? They fled before their enemy. They weren't aware of the sin, but they fled because the presence of God wasn't with them. Now, we're going to get to the good news pretty quickly, but, but I want you to know that that sin has a devastating effect upon our life and our relationship with God. And the answer is to acknowledge it, to confess it. To confess it even when it becomes a thought. And it may become a thought again and again. Young people, I don't know why we're designed that way. But, uh, I remember going through a period of time, your ages, when I was bombarded with all kinds of feelings that I'd never had before. And, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful that I had parents that taught me the thoughts that are productive and good, and the thoughts that aren't. We live in a day and time that the culture has removed the barriers of sin to where many times we don't even know what is sin. I remember talking to a young man in inner city Philadelphia. I pastored a Frankfurt Avenue Baptist church in Lower Kensington. I don't know if they, I called it Lower Kensington because it was right between Kensington and Fishtown. Anybody here know of Fishtown or Kensington? Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if you were from Philadelphia, you would probably know. And nowadays, Lower Kensington is called the war zone. I mean, it's, it's really a, a bad place. But I was talking to a young fella, and he was talking to me some about you know girlfriend and sexual immorality. and And I forget what it was I said to him, but he said, It's a sin to have sex outside of marriage. I said, I know that if if you do, you you need to be committed to that person, love that person, and all. It isn't just for your own, you know, enjoyment. But but is it, you know, and I was sort of shocked, like, duh. Uh, But I grew up in a different generation and a different, I don't want to say culture, but a different, a society with different values. Uh, And... uh, and boy, when, he, when we looked at God's word, uh, it it transformed his life. And he really felt repentant about that. But it was sort of like, thank you, preacher, for telling me this. I didn't even know that. That's why it's important that we spend time with God and we spend time in his word. Our disobedience is going to uh, affect others. And it is going to leave us uh, powerless, as we saw with uh, Israel against Israel. Um, AI, not only does our disobedience affect others, but so does our obedience. We can have an influence for good if we are faithful to God and to his word. We see in the New Testament... Um, was it Peter dealing with uh, Cornelius, the centurion, Gentile? And God showed him that Gentiles can be a part of the kingdom of, of God. But when that happened, they also said that that Cornelius and all within his house, his family, not just family, but, but those friends and acquaintances that he had that... Uh, that he invited into his home. Not only did God impact uh, Cornelius' life, but it says, and and they were baptized at that moment. Our influence, we have to be careful we don't take pride in that. And I, I tell you what, if you're faithful to God, you're going to find your influence goes far beyond your knowledge. You know, I've had people come up to me uh, 10, 15 years later and say, Ron, I'm so glad that you shared this in this particular meeting, because as a result of that, I come to know Christ. And I'm thinking, okay, that's good, that's what I desire, but, but we don't know the impact that we can have upon others. But in the same way that evil can impact others, so can righteousness. I don't want to run out of time before we hit the very important part. Let's skip to, the, uh, to point number four. God's answer or cure to sin is Christmas. Okay? Christmas. Look at Galatians chapter... Uh, Chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come. And I, I like that word, the fullness of time. Huh, Mickey? Fullness of time. The, 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 the seventh hour, you know, that's that fullness completion. At, at, at the very right moment, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption of sons. And because you are sons, um, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, Paul talks a lot about being a bondservant of Christ, but that's a choice that he made. He chose to be a servant of God because God had allowed him to become a child of his, a son of his, a daughter of his. Adoption is a beautiful thing. And back in Jesus' day, adoption was powerful. You've probably heard me say this before, or you may not have, because I haven't preached that much here. But um, in, in Jesus' day, inheritance, a, a child of an heir could be disinherited. In other words, would not receive their inheritance. But if that person were to adopt a child, that child could never be disinherited. The adopted child had more security in the home than the blood-born child back in Jesus' day. And I think that's one of the reasons that God used that term in, in the day of Paul because it had such a powerful connection. I have a sister that we received by adoption. She's not my adopted sister. She is my sister. And I don't know that I love her any more or less than I do my two brothers that were blood. And I can remember my parents sitting Patty down one day and saying to her, Patty, our relationship with you is special because you're adopted. That doesn't mean you're not a part of this family. It means you're part of this family in a way that your brothers aren't. When when we received your brothers into the family, we didn't have a choice. And there was probably some times later in life when we put them through some Difficult stuff, blowing up stuff, and and all that—that uh, <clears throat> that they probably uh, would have preferred, <laughs> you know—that that they would not have chosen us if they could have seen us at thirteen and fourteen, you know, maybe even twelve, uh, and 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 even up more in uh, fifteen and in sixteen. I remember uh, Dad driving just north of our house and seeing this. Um, bank of uh, ashes that the state had piled up and he said look at that some idiot drove a car right up on top of that and I saw my older brother's head sort of dropping me too because I was in the car when he did it Uh, or the time when uh, uh, I came to school and everybody was talking about someone peeled out underneath the goalposts in the football field I didn't think that people would really take uh, notice that that much, but they, they, they did, and they made it a big thing. I didn't do that, guys. But I was in the car when it was, uh, was done. That was my, my brother. That was his influence on, uh, on me. My folks said to my sister Patty, but when we when you entered into the family... You entered in by choice. We chose you. We, we knew you. Matter of fact, our my sister Patty was four or five. We would have adopted her back when she was about two, two and a half. Uh, but at that time, she wasn't eligible for adoption. And the courts had to go through. But as soon as she was released for adoption, my folks went back to Delaware and, uh, and we, we adopted her. And, and we had her in our home from the age of seven months uh and and I can still see this bloated pale uh, baby that had been only fed cow's milk, no formula, no cereal, nothing, just milk, just regular uh, milk and and when my mother would prepare a bottle for her she she would almost go into she she'd get shaking, you know until she had that bottle and then she would calm down and was, uh, you know was good. God sent Jesus at Christmas time that we might be adopted into his family so that at Pentecost he could send the spirit of his son to live within us. If God tabernacles at all today it's because we move around but he lives within us and he lives within us, Not because of our behavior. Because remember, God can't live where sin is. But we are righteous in Christ Jesus because he paid the cost for it. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 says, Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who thought, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to grasp hold of, but made himself uh, nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The consequence of Achan's sin was death. Not only death to him, but death to his entire family in anything he owned. I mean, we look at that and say, God father how could you have done something like this and the reason was to see the the consequences of sin well let me try to give you a story real real, real quick the weekend before i got to come home from the vietnam war i uh, spent with a missionary in central Thailand. And I spent Saturday night with them. And we got up early and, and and left their house and went down to the river and got on a boat. And we went, I think, upstream some and across over the river. And we got on to a. We got. Us Americans called it a one-botter because it cost one bot in uh, Thai money, which is about equal to a quarter. Or was it a nickel? Probably a quarter today, but. but or maybe it was a quarter then and a nickel a day. But anyway, uh, and, and what it was was a small, like a Toyota or Nissan or Datsun pickup, you know, those little pickups. And they had benches on each side and you face one another. That could get sometimes 12 people in and on that little truck. And it took us out of town. And I mean out in the country. It was a, a, it was a dirt road and stopped. And we were the only ones that got off at that particular spot. And there was nothing around, no buildings, nothing but rice paddies. And we started walking I, with this missionary, and I followed him, and we walked out across, and you had to follow him because those dikes between the rice paddies weren't all that wide. And, uh, and finally, I began to see something of a difference, and it looked like a picnic pavilion. Roof, did have a front wall on it. Behind it were some low buildings that reminded me of the, of the hog pens, Not because they were messed up like hogs make them, but it was, you know, sort of low uh, and and those were the Sunday school rooms. And they'd only been having Sunday school about three or four years at that time uh, where they were teaching uh, kids. But I experienced worship in the church in a way that transformed my life. I knew from that point on that church could never be the same because this church was made up of lepers. And the reason they met out there in the middle of nowhere was because they were ostracized from society. At that time, and I don't know if it's changed, but back in the late 60s, they did not have a cure for leprosy. But they could arrest it. They could stop it. They could get it to the point where it wasn't contagious to other people. But... People weren't accepted into society because of the scars that leprosy left. Let me give you a quick lesson on leprosy. When leprosy first entered into a person's body, you couldn't see it. Later you could, but you couldn't see it. But it was a a part of the body that didn't have any feeling. That's why we saw a lot of lepers with uh, missing their toes. Because the standard shoe in Thailand at that time, up in the country was a flip-flop. I mean, everybody wore flip-flops. You know, they didn't wear shoes. And, uh, and if you'd walk into a town, the, the restaurants many times was just a charcoal fire with a pot on it, and you could come up and get something to eat. And uh, a person with leprosy, because of having no feeling, uh, would sometimes step on coals and not know it until they smelled it, because they couldn't feel it. And so it left them with scars. It, it literally destroyed tissue in the body. I, I saw lepers that couldn't close their eyes because the muscles that opened their eyes. And uh, God sent a eyes, ears, nose, throat doctor from Alabama into northern Thailand and uh, and he became a plastic surgeon and his job was to remove the scars of leprosy and he would go in to um, to a leper's forehead and connect a muscle that made you you know crinkle up your forehead and hook it to your eye now they had to be trained again how to open your eyelid and how to close it because it's using a different muscle but it was amazing what god did through this doctor and and it and it made that person acceptable again in society because the scars of uh, leprosy were no longer there. When we left that service, we went back into town and we went to the home of a young missionary couple that had to be in their late 20s. They had a baby that was maybe a year old. And we got talking to them and at one point I said to them, Boy, aren't you terrified? Uh, because of working among lepers, that you would bring this disease into your home. And they said, well, we're not terrified, but we are concerned about it. And that's why before, when we come home from our work, before we have any contact with our son, we change our clothes and we take a shower and we cleanse ourselves. And then we also have our son regularly checked to make sure that there's no signs of leprosy within them. And it was like God said to me in my heart, Ron, we need to have that same, that same view of sin. That's why it's important as parents that we that we deal with sin when it's a thought before it becomes an action. Because our kids Sometimes we think they may know our thoughts. They know our thoughts if we're angry because they see it, you know, not just because they know that there's anger in there over what they have done. Or they expect it because they know what they did deserves, you know, uh, anger. Uh, But that's why we need to deal with it when there's still thoughts. And and it is why we need to have them under the tutorage of other Christians because, as much as we can teach our children about the Lord and about the Christian life, there are people that have been through other experiences that can share things with our kids that we can't, and share it from a perspective where, you know, they'll come back and say, "You know what I learned today," and and I think, "Oh, Dave, haven't you been listening?" You know, and we've been telling you that for, uh, you know, for a while, but. Uh, But God has chosen to reveal that through uh, others. It's important that we deal with sin because sin has consequences and sin is something that can plague and change families. But at the same time, I've seen... A person come to faith in Christ, born again, and it changed the whole family. And some of you may have experienced that. When you see godly behavior in in your parents, it causes us to want to follow them. Now, we may try to subdue that, but it's there. Let it be so. Sin is a horrible thing, and the consequences of sin in the life of of Achan was that his name was removed from Israel. The Achan family did not exist any longer, because had they not dealt with that cancer within their nation of sin, and that particular one, you know, we all... Sin, but when we refuse and reject God, the wages of that is death. Let me conclude with this Romans 623. For the wages of sin is death. Folks, that's the old covenant. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the new covenant. Now, it doesn't mean that we are, that we sin less than Israel did. But that God provided a means whereby we can be righteous and therefore he can be present in our lives. And so he sent Jesus that he might redeem us and then later sent the spirit of Jesus into our hearts that he might be with us always. Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's God's promise to us as believers, no matter what we do. Now that doesn't give us a lightness to do those things, but it says God is with us and, and confession and forgiveness is available at a thought. At a thought. Do I live a sinless life? No. Do I live a righteous life? I, I sure try to. I try, when God began to show me that I was righteous in Him, when I do things that weren't righteous, you know, my mind would say, Ron, why are you doing this? This isn't who you are. Because we are adopted into the family of God, and our desire is to be like our Father who revealed himself and all his righteousness through Jesus Christ. And we can indeed be like him.